We're starting a new series um, tonight um, in Revelation, and um, Carl's asked me just to read the passage that he's going to be teaching from tonight. So this is um, Revelation chapter 5. I think it'll be on the screen behind me as well. Um, Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. We pray together. Let's pray. Jesus, we um, have this audacious thought that captivates our minds that this is your living, active word. That you want to speak to our lives and that your spirit is here. Your spirit who changes lives and calls life out in us is present. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak truth to our hearts, to change our lives, to bring hope into our hopelessness, to bring joy into our sorrow, to bring peace into our chaos. 
and your life into our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Ambitious, we're starting a new series uh, this evening in the book of Revelation, and uh, we've entitled it Sign of the Times, and I am so tempted to sing. And nobody thinks it's a good idea. Not one person, not one member of my family, not one member of the staff, not one of you think it's a good idea for me to sing. So, for the first time ever, I'm going to take their advice, and there's going to be no song this evening. But... But I have bought my sledgehammer. And I bought my sledgehammer because some of you will know that over the last uh, few months, I have become a farmer. Uh, I like to see myself as a gentleman farmer, and, uh, which basically means Nikki does the farming and I mince around the estate. And, uh, but what we had recently is that we, we had five ewes, and the five ewes have produced nine lambs. And uh, we're not quite sure how that all happened, but it did. And uh, eight of them are doing really well. One of them is, uh, has been rejected, and uh, everyone else thinks it's a disaster, but my wife thinks it's amazing because she gets to feed the lamb four times a day. To say it's a hassle, but it's totally, it's totally amazing. One of the things that I've discovered is that maintenance is really important. I never used to like fences. Now I love fences. Fences are really, really important things. I don't think you realize how important fences are. Fences are designed to keep good things in and bad things out. That's what fences are for. But what I've discovered is this. If you don't have strong poles on your fences, when the storms come or the predator comes, the fence falls down. It's really important to have one of these. But it's even more important to have one of these or an even bigger one of these and lots of these. Because these create the foundation points, the pivot points, the centering points of every fence that you create and build. And one of the other things I've discovered is that if you start trying to build a fence and you don't follow a line from the original place you started to build the fence, then your fence begins to look like this and doesn't work very well. There needs to be a plumb line to your fence. And so as we began to start talking about the book of Revelation and what's going on in our world right now, we began to say, well, what does it look like for us to have a stake? For us to have a centering pole? In in the midst of shaking, what what is going to be the anchor? What is going to be the securing point? What is going to be the place that is stable and secure from which you cannot be shaken? Because we live in a world, whatever you think about what's happened in the last year or so, we live in a world where everything is turned on its head. Have you noticed that? You know, yesterday's securities have become today's insecurities. Yesterday's certainties have become uh, today's ambiguities. We don't know. We used to rely upon certain structures and certain financial situations and certain political situations, and now we can't rely upon those anymore. It's almost as if the Lord is allowing all that stuff that we thought was certain and was like a stake in our lives to be shaken because he wants to remind us of something, that he is the stake. He is the foundation point. He is the security of all life. And so we're going to teach this, this whole thing uh, from the book of Revelation, which may be a crazy move, but I felt led to go to it. 
It's weird because this is the book for the gamers and for the fantasists and for the conspiracy theorists and for the religious nuts, uh, isn't it? I mean, this book has caused more trouble in every generation than any other book in the Bible and all the other books of the Bible put together. If you're listening here and you're listening elsewhere, there are a number of things I want to say. We are not at any stage in these next seven or eight weeks going to suggest that Donald Trump is the Antichrist, that Brexit is the beginning of the end, that independence for Scotland is the answer, or that Beyonce is the beast, or that Kim Kardashian <laughs> is any of the above, all of which you can find somewhere on the internet, I tell you that, because this is the book for the religious nuts, but we're going to deal with it in a very different way. And in order to deal with it in a different way, before we get to Revelation chapter 5, which we will deal with in depth in just a moment, I need to say two things, and I need to allow God to say two things about this book, so we don't approach it in a weird, weird, wacky way. First thing I want to say about this book is this. I'm going to take this book not literally, but as literary, if that makes sense. I'm not going to take this book literally. In fact, this book is not meant to be taken literally. It is a book. And it's a story book. In fact, it, it appears to me as almost as if it's the comic strip of the Bible. It's, it's like full of adventure and passion and caricature. And, and because God is trying to tell us something and he knows that we listen in story and we see things in symbol and we, we're pictorial people. I'm not going to take it literally because if I took it literally, I'd have to believe that every number was accurate and every beast was accurate and everything was actually going to happen the way it says it's going to happen. I don't think that's what God is intending for us. I just think it messes us up. But I want to say this. This is not real, but it is truth. It's not, it's not real, but it's truth. It's not real like Narnia is not real. The stone table is not real. Care Paravel is not real, but it's deep truth. It's, it's not real like the Shire is not real. Rivendell is not real. Mordor is not real and neither is Mount Doom real, but it's deep truth that touches our hearts because we know it resonates with what... It's, it's not real, if, if, if I dare say, like the Death Star is not real. <laughs> but it's truth. It's truth because it's story and it resonates with our hearts and it takes us to a deeper place of, of truth and provides an anchor if we allow it for our hearts and our lives. These are stories that will impact things and change things for us. The second thing I want to say is that I want to be clear about the question, when is all this going to happen? That's a huge question for the, for the church down through the years whenever they read the book of Revelation. When is all this going to happen? And can we chart when it's going to happen? And can we know when it's going to happen? And I want to tell you that I think it's already happened. And I think it's happening. And I think it's going to happen. And, and I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, perfectly better. But, but let me tell you this. If you were in the first century and you were sitting listening to John's letter and you were living under the reign of the Emperor Domitian who hated Christians, and your friends were being fed to lions and lit up like torches on, on the way into Rome, you would believe this is now. This is the persecution of the church, and this is what God has to say to his people. Let me tell you this, if, if, if you are living in the Middle East today, and a member of your family has been captured by Islamic State and has 
had their head chopped off because they refused to denounce the name of Jesus, you better believe you think that this is what is happening now, that God's got his word. And, and you also better believe because of what the Bible says that this is going to get worse for the people of God before it gets immeasurably better. And, and, and there's no point in any of us speculating about when it's going to happen, by the way, because Jesus doesn't even know. And if Jesus doesn't even know, and he's not allowed to know, then that's good enough for me. But we do need to be aware of what's going on in our world. So those are two things from me. Here are two things from God. I'm sure I'm going to get emails about this sermon. <laughs> two things from God. First thing from God is this. He has two things to say. I think there are two main themes of the whole book of Revelation. I think these are two hermeneutical tools for us to understand what's going on in Revelation. The, the first thing is this. God says there is a war that you need to be aware of. There is a war that you need to be aware of. We live in a world which is at war, and sometimes we don't recognize the war, and sometimes we don't see the war, but, with, but God has an enemy, and his, his plan is to keep you from the deeper things of God. That's what he wants. He wants to keep you from a relationship with God. So there is a spiritual war at play right now. And sometimes it emerges and it's obvious, but often it's, a, it's an internal war. It's a war, war for your mind and a war for your heart. It, it's a war that, 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 that is, it, it's, it's a fight about what is going to become the authority of your life. That's what it is. It's a fight about whether culture is going to become the authority of your life or reason or feelings or experience are going to become the authority of your life that you're going to stand the weight of your life on. What is going to be your stake? That's the war. Are you going to always build off of yesterday's stake or are you going to build off of the pole, the original design, Jesus? That's the war. That's the war for your heart. What is going to be the most important thing in your heart? Who is going to sit on the throne of your life? That, that's the war. And, and the reason that our world is in such a mess right now, let me tell you. You can write this down. The reason that our world is in such a mess right now is that we were always designed to live our life and to build our life off the stake that is Jesus Christ, the pole that is Jesus Christ, who he is, what he says, what he wants of our life. That's what we're designed to do. But generation after generation after generation after generation, thousands of years of people ignoring that and deciding to build their fences from yesterday's pole rather than from the original pole. From what somebody else did or what somebody else is doing or how you want to react to somebody else rather than how you're going to react to Jesus Christ. And, and although it doesn't feel as if you're doing something wrong, what happens after generation after generation after generation after generation is the fence looks like this. And some generations, they say, we don't need a pole at all. We don't need any measuring point. We don't need any static point in our life. We don't want any authority in our lives. We'll live without fences, and then we'll deal with the consequences of that. And the next generation says, we'll build a fence, but we don't refer to the original fence, Paul. So we, we have a, a world that is messed up, not deliberately trying to do things that are alien to the kingdom of God, but they are, they've lost sight of the centering point in the pole. There is a war. And here's the thing, the church... The church, despite its issues, and it has many, and you, you know better than anybody else because you're part of it, what the issues are. We've got issues, guys. But the church has got the answer. 
The church is the only organization on this planet that has the answer. The church is the one that's saying, there is a pole, there is a cornerstone. It's, it's, that's, that's the word in the scripture. There's a cornerstone. There's something to build your life on, something that you will be able, you'll be able to stand in the middle of a storm. If you stand your weight on Jesus, that there's a pole. And when it begins to say that, the enemy hates it. Because the enemy has a plan. It's to keep you always building off yesterday's pole, not the original pole. <laughs> And the enemy hates it, and so the enemy persecutes, and the enemy attacks, and the enemy seeks to divide and conquer. There's a war going on. The second thing that God is trying to tell us is this. Write this down. God wins the war. That's it. (laughs) He's only got two things he's trying to say in the book of Revelation, really. He's trying to say there's a war going on, get smart. And then he's trying to say God wins the war, get hopeful. It's going to be okay. God wins the war. And so Revelation 1 opens up. You know, the, the, the revelation of the book of Revelation is Jesus. You know that? That's the revelation. That's what it's all about. The revelation of the book of Revelation is Jesus. And so, and so John gets a vision of Jesus and how powerful Jesus is and how beautiful Jesus is. And his voice is like the sound of rushing waters and his eyes are like blazing fire. So he sees all things and he knows all things. Jesus is the revelation of the book of Revelation. And Jesus is on his throne. And so Revelation chapter 4, there is this incredible picture of a throne in heaven. And you know what, if you're sitting there in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of shaking, in the middle of persecution, in the middle of I don't understand this world anymore, you better believe it's reassuring to know that Jesus is still on his throne. See, you're tempted to think that maybe Trump is, or Putin is, or maybe even more subtly, you're tempted to think your cancer is on the throne. Or you're tempted to think your boss is or your lack of qualifications is on the throne. That's the thing that's driving everything. But, but what you're supposed to understand from the book of Revelation is in amongst all the chaos and in amongst all the difficulty, Christ is bigger than the chaos. Christ is above the chaos. Christ stands below the chaos. He's working out his plans to prosper you. And so we get this book. We get this book because God just wants us to be smart, to know the attack and to know where it comes from and know how to stand in it. He wants us to be hopeful. When, when everything around us would say, don't be hopeful, I am mean, sick and tired of, of, of people speaking miserably about this world that we're in. I think, I think we're in the best times ever for the church of Jesus Christ. I think suddenly what God is doing is he's shaking everything so that nothing else is standing up apart from the pole. Everyone's going, oh, so, so the pole of finance fell down and the, the pole of political power fell down and the pole of our security fell down and some of our relationships got busted and now everything's shaking, but there is a pole. What's that? If, if, I, if I tether my life to that, could I have some security? Could I have some hope? Would that actually bring me life rather than restrict me? I'm I'm more excited about where we are right now than I've ever been. And God says, I want you to know this, there's a war, but but I win, and so do you. And so Revelation chapter five, let's let's go there. And let's do some study, and I've got to speak fast because I promised I'll be quick. I'm not gonna cut out anything, I'm just gonna speak quick. (laughs) Are you ready? 
This is going to be good. Revelation chapter 5. And Revelation 5, we're going to, we're going to go through what's happening here because, because unless you follow this carefully, it just looks weirdy-weirdy, but it's not really that weirdy-weirdy. Okay, so Revelation chapter 5 starts. And in Revelation chapter 5, we have this picture. What, what we're being told here is what does it mean that God is on his throne? And what does it mean that God wins? We have this picture, and, and God is on his throne, and he's holding a scroll. And, and what you're supposed to understand is he's holding a letter. Scrolls were letters. And we're told this scroll with, if you read in your Bible, it's scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals, which is very old school, but you need to understand what's going on here. John's readers would have understood perfectly what they're seeing, because this was normal stuff for them. But for us, it's a bit strange, so we need to unpack it a, a, a little bit. Uh, the, the, there are two pictures here that, that are, are playing off of one another. The first picture is that God is holding a legal document. And we know he's holding a legal document because it's a scroll and because it's written on both sides. And the reason you wrote on both sides was the same reason when you used to write checks that you used to put a line next to the number. Do you remember? How many of you still write checks? About four of you. Um, when, when you used to, back in the day when, we, when I was young, you used to have checkbooks. And when you wrote a check, you'd run, write a number and you'd put a line next to it in case someone put a number of noughts next to it and said that you, you'd paid them £10,000 rather than £100. And this is exactly the same deal. The, it's written on both sides so no one can do a sneaky change. This is a, a full-on legal document. And I think what we're supposed to understand is that God is holding the deal. God is holding the deal between humanity and heaven. He's saying, this is, this is the deal. This is the contract. This is the relationship. This is, this is what we're supposed to, this is supposed to happen. These are my conditions and my requirements and my plan and my design. Picture number two. God is also holding his last will and testament. How cool is that? God is holding his will in his hand. I'll tell you why. Because it was sealed with seven seals. A last will and testament back in the day would always be sealed with seven seals. You'd get seven important people and they would seal it with a wax seal. And when you died, they or, or the people who now held the seal would come and they would cut their seal. So you knew that nothing sneaky was happening. God is holding his last will and testament. This is my plan. This is my endowment upon my people. This is the master plan for the unfolding of world history. In other words, he's saying, this is the stake. It's the stake. This is, this is the thing you can build the whole of your life on, the whole of your future on, the whole of your hope on, the whole of your peace on, and it's in my hand. And then, and then John begins to weep. Look at the passage, verse two. We've got a mighty angel with a big voice. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? He said loudly because this angel had a big voice. We got this scroll. It's got the secrets of the universe. And God's holding it. But there is no one in the whole of heaven and no one in the whole of earth who has the spiritual power and the moral authority to be able to open the seals. So it's like the most tantalizing thing in the world. God's holding the most important piece of paper in the history of the world ever and no one can open the paper. And John weeps. Isn't that just how we feel? Isn't that how? We've tried absolutely everything. We've tried rulers like Caesars and Napoleons and Mandela's and you know, Cromwell's and 
We've tried great thinkers and, and scientists, and we've tried every ism under the sun. Socialism and conservatism and consumerism and, and uh, hedonism and individualism, and, and none of it has been able to answer that. None of it has been able to give us the security that we need. None of, us can fill, none of it can fill the hole that we feel in our hearts and our lives. None of us can deal with that ache. None of it. None of it. And the scroll remain, remains unsealed. And then says John in the passage, one of the elders says, don't weep. Here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. And, and look at the description that the elder gives of Jesus. Describes him as the lion and the lamb. Have, have you ever had something described to you that was really attractive and when you saw it, it was very different from what you imagined? Have you ever spoken to someone on the phone and not seen them and then met them in person and gone, you're not them? I've done that. I always imagine what someone's going to... And of course, in the days of social media stalking, it's not so easy to do this. But, but back in the day, when we didn't have all that stuff, you'd often speak to someone and then you'd meet them and there would be this incredible, sometimes huge gulf between those, those two thoughts. And that's exactly what's going on here. This is the experience. The elder says, Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. What an incredible name. Power and majesty. He can do everything. And everyone's thinking, of course he can take the scroll and he can rip the seals and undo it because he has spiritual power. And then they look up and they see a lamb with his throat slit. It's like, I don't know what it's like. Maybe it's like, um, maybe it's like the British Lions rugby team about to go and play the All Blacks. And, uh, and, and it's the first test, I don't know where it is, Auckland, let's say it's Auckland, the first test, and, 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 and the All Blacks run out to do their war dance thing, and, and, and then, then the announcer announces the British Lions rugby team, and Naomi Black is playing prop forward, and, uh, and Thomas Dean is scrum half, and, 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 and I'm fly half, and, uh, and you know, and, and you, Robin, Robin is playing in the wing, and, and it's like this incredible moment when we're all excited, and then we go, oh. Oh dear, that's a total disaster. It's not going to work. How can it work? He's a lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's the lamb who was slain. And it's incredible because of what's being said here. Look at the lamb in the passage. It's a strange looking creature. The lamb that we feed by the bottle doesn't look like this. <clears throat> this lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. It's a bit weird, but, but do you remember that we talked about imagery and what you need to know is this, and some of you will know this, that, that seven is the perfect number in the Hebraic uh, uh, culture. But that, that's why 666 is the number of the beast, because six is less than perfect, 666. So seven is the complete and perfect number. And eyes are biblically symbolic of knowledge. That makes sense, doesn't it? And horns are biblically symbolic of power. And so what you're getting here is that this lamb, although it looks as if it can't do anything, has all knowledge perfectly and all power perfectly. It's an incredible creature. 
Jesus doesn't miss anything. You ever thought that? Jesus doesn't miss anything. And Jesus can do anything. That's why he's the stake. He misses nothing and he can do anything. He knows exactly what you're thinking right now. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what you hide from other people. He knows what you're ashamed of, what you're proud of. He knows it because he has seven eyes. And he can do something about it because he has seven horns. He has all power. There is nothing he cannot do. And so John looks up and he sees a lamb with its throat slit. In other words, this lamb has supernatural power, but he also has moral authority. This is the heart of the passage and the heart of the gospel. Why can the lion of Judah open the seal? Because he's the lamb who was slain. He has the moral authority because he's done something about it. He has the moral authority because he came and he gave his life. He has the moral authority because he's taken your place. He has the moral authority because he's healed your sins and your pain and your sorrow. He has the moral authority because he hung on a cross. He has the moral authority because he came and did what he said he would do. He has the moral authority because he came and became a bridge in his body between humanity and God and God and humanity. He has the moral authority as well as the supernatural natural, spiritual power. He's the lion and the lamb, the lamb and the lion. And so verse 7, check it out. He comes and he takes the scroll from the right hand of him who sits on the throne. He's the center point. He's the security of the known world and the unknown world. He's the only place that you can tether your life and be certain that you will have life. And so, and so what does all this mean? It means this very simply. It means that 2,000 years ago, that a wooden cross and an empty tomb and an upper room became the pivotal point of the whole of human history. That's what it means. It means because 2,000 years ago there was a wooden cross and an empty tomb and an upper room, it means that you can tether your life to something that will stand and go on standing. Where, where, where is peace to be found? In a world of chaos and pain. Not not in some kind of meditative state that you work up. Although the the, the most popular apps in the App Store are all these days meditative apps. Have you seen that? It's not a bad thing to meditate. But peace is not going to be found in a meditative state. It gets found in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as he reconciles humanity to God. Where is forgiveness going to be found? Where are you going to find forgiveness for the stuff that you've done that you don't know what to do with? And for the stuff that other people have done that you don't know what to do with? Not in human relationships, although forgiveness in human relationships is really important. But, but, but in the cross of Jesus Christ, as he says, Father, forgive them. See, he's the fence post. He's the fence post. Where is life going to be found? Not in some stuff or even some experiences, although they're not wrong either. But, but ultimately in the cross of Jesus as he, as he dies and he rises again that you might have life in all its fullness, not in all its restrictedness or in its dullness. Tethering your life to the stake that is Jesus Christ is not going to restrict you. It's going to free you to live life. Where is healing going to be found? 
Not, not ultimately in some alternative medicine or even in the NHS. Both of which are good. But, but, but in the cross of Jesus. And in the resurrection of Jesus. And in the life of the Spirit. Be- because physical, emotional, spiritual wholeness is what he's all about. Where is hope to be found in a hopeless world? At the cross of Jesus. Where is direction to be found for your life? Where, you're looking for, where, where's it going to be found? Not in Trump, not in Macron, not in May, not in Putin, not even in Pope Francis. Although if he was standing for something, I'd probably vote for him. He's very cool, isn't he? Not, not, not even in Pope Francis, but in, but in the person of Jesus Christ. See, the problem is this. We have spent generation after generation, decade after decade, year after year, building our fences and our lives off yesterday's fence post that was created by somebody but wasn't created by Jesus. And then we wonder why we can't find hope, and we wonder why we can't find peace, and we wonder why we haven't got joy, and we wonder why we don't have life, and we wonder why we can't forgive. Because there is only one post. There is only one hope. There is only one solution. And so God causes John to write the book of Revelation. Ironically, to give clarity. <laughs> Don't you think it's weird? They're like the comic book of the Bible where it's all dragons and beasts and a whole bunch of weirdy, weirdy stuff. It's written so you might have clarity. So that you might have hope in hopelessness. And so that you might have courage and confidence in the middle of a shaking world to say, hey, I'm standing. And I'm going to keep on standing. And I'm going to grow in hope, and I'm going to grow in healing, and I'm going to grow in peace, and I'm going to grow in forgiveness, and I'm going to grow in these things because I am going to base my life on the stake that is Jesus, and I'm going to begin to uproot and smash down every other stake that gets in the way of Jesus Christ, because that's the only tethering point that will actually free you to live life. That's our introduction to Revelation. And over the next six weeks or so, we're going to try and unpack. And actually, what's going to happen is, is God is going to undo that scroll. And as he undoes that scroll, which, remember, is his last will and testament, which is, which is his plan for the world. There's going to be some freaky things that are going to happen as he undoes that scroll. And we're going to try and plot that and navigate it in a way that's sensible and we can understand and doesn't freak us out. Is that Okay. But tonight, there may well be some of you, and I suspect there are, for for whom you know that that has not been the tethering point of your life. That the person of Jesus has has been a distant memory, and you've built a whole bunch of other stuff up, and and, and you've built off a whole bunch of yesterday's stakes, and it's not working for you. And in the middle of shaking, in the middle of chaos, in the middle of stuff that's happening in the world, you find yourself anxious and not hopeful. You find yourself with no joy and no life. You find yourself with no peace. And tonight, I think God just comes with an opportunity to say, I wrote this letter for you, my children. 
so that you would know peace, so that you would know joy, and so that you would know life. So come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls, and I will give you hope for your hopelessness, and I will give you peace in your chaos, and I will give you healing for your sickness, and I will give you forgiveness for your unforgiveness, and I will give you life for what you currently call life, but you know doesn't even touch life. I think Jesus is here, and I think that's what he wants to do this evening. And so the band are going to come, and we're going to worship Jesus. And, and what we're going to do is that the, the ministry team are going to come up the front, and if in any way you want to respond to Jesus and say, I, I, I want to live my life by the stake, not, not, not by any other stake that I've put, but by the cornerstone that is Jesus. And Jesus, I need some of your hope, and I need some of your peace, and I need some of your joy. And just come and receive prayer, and we'll just keep working until, until uh, there's nothing more to do. And uh, we'll clear some of the paths to the stake. So let's stand together, and let's worship.